Welcome everyone to Dead Talk Live. I'm your host, Viz. I want to welcome all of our viewers from around the world. If you are joining us for the first time tonight and want more information about our show, I invite you to visit us on the web at deadtalklive.com and now our sister news station, deadtalknews.com. And like I said, welcome to everyone around the world. Good evening or good morning, all depending on where you're located. I want to go ahead and welcome uh, some of our viewers. Of course, we have our normal moderators. We have Singer Chick, Khaleesi, Saz, CC Weezy's also joining us. Saz has just joined us on Facebook. On the Instagram side, we have Ugly Painting. Oh, man, that's a harsh name. Boba is also with us. Innocent is with us. Caval is also joining us, as is Joseph. So I hope everyone's enjoying their evening, morning, like I said, depending on where in the world you're located. Welcome to Jennifer, who's just joined us on Facebook. Uh, a little guest announcement to make. Uh, one week from today, we are going to be joined by Sarah Paxton. Sarah Paxton is the star of uh, the, the movie The Innkeepers. She also played a major role on The uh, Last House on the Left, which has become a horror cult classic. If you haven't seen The Last House on the Left, it's a highly recommended must-watch. It's become a cult classic. So Sarah is going to be joining us live one week from today, Tuesday, January 26th. Uh, I was able to release the, the announcement on our news website so so i don't forget anything let me just go ahead and read you uh you know some of the stuff i made a miss sarah paxton she's a, like i said appeared on the last house on the left the innkeepers and also shark night uh she will be appearing on our show dead talk live uh a week from today tuesday january 26th starting at our regular time, which is 9.30 p.m. Eastern. She's also appeared in numerous TV shows, such as Lizzie McGuire, State of Grace, CSI uh, Crime Scene Investigation, CSI Miami. Uh, she's also appeared in Malcolm in the Middle, as well as Will and Grace. Uh, of course, her biggest break came in 2011, when she landed the role in The Last House on the Left. And then from there, she went on to star in The Innkeepers. And I don't know how many of you guys have seen The Innkeepers. Uh, it's one of those well-hidden horror gems that not that many people have heard of. Uh, it's really, really good. And she is the lead in that movie. And it's really creepy, and it's really scary, and I highly recommend for any of you guys that have not seen it to go out and watch it, as we do yesterday. I love doing this. I love being able to tell you guys exactly where to go to watch it and which streaming services have it. So let's go ahead and let me bring this site up so you guys can see it. Of course, the website is just watch. Dot com. There's also an app. Uh, it's called the Inn Keepers. There it is. And let's see. It is available to stream on Hoopla. 
Hoopla, which is, of course, you know, the digital movie world is being flooded with streaming services. And one of them is Hoopla. Uh, don't know if it's for free or not, uh, but they it is part of their streaming lineup. And, of course, it is always available to rent or buy on any of the other major uh, video-on-demand streaming platforms. So, I think Hoopla is free. You can check it out. You can install it on your Roku, your Amazon Fire Stick, or your mobile device. And go ahead and watch The Innkeepers. You won't regret it. It's just one of those great movies out there that just did not get the recognition it deserves. And it stars our guest, uh, Sarah Paxton. So, anyway, she's going to be with us right here next Tuesday. You guys don't want to miss it. So, let's go ahead and move on to some other news that we have. Uh, Quite a bit of mix of Walking Dead and horror news uh, that has come out in the last 24 hours. Uh, The Walking Dead gives first look at Negan and Lucille flashback scenes so that sounds very interesting uh so you know what let's see if this is the actual real deal or if it's that same behind the scene productions whatever you want to call it that we've been seeing for the last several weeks it's the same Still good. It's good to see Robert Patrick on the screen. There you go. Very short, sweet, to the point. Uh, you know, seeing Robert Patrick is amazing. And I haven't mentioned this yet, but as we all know, the Walking Dead 6 bonus episodes are going to start at the end of February, February 28th the very last day in February, to be exact. And we actually got uh, a premiere for the second half of Fear the Walking Dead. Fear the Walking Dead is not going to start the normal time where the second half of Walking Dead shows start. Like, Fear this year is taking the position of what would normally be the Walking Dead. Well, because with COVID and all the delays... Fear, like I said, took the place of The Walking Dead. It premiered in October. And as we all know, there's the winter break. And then in February, we always get the second half. Well, what's going to happen this year is in February, we are going to get those six bonus episodes of The Walking Dead that we're all very much looking forward to. But the premiere of the second half of season six of Fear the Walking Dead has been pushed back to April. So what they're going to do is they're going to start at the end of February, give us those six bonus episodes, and right after they're done, the week after, I'm guessing, we are going to uh, get the uh, second half premiere of Fear the Walking Dead. It's actually it's actually going to start with episode eight, which was supposed to be the mid-season finale of season six of Fear of the Walking Dead. But they never got a chance to finish it before the uh, COVID delays. Uh, it's all finished now. 
So we're going to be getting the mid-season finale and the mid-season premiere one week apart. And it's worth noting that they are both directed by the great Michael Satrazimus, uh, the man who has been with The Walking Dead since day one, uh, the greatest director on The Walking Dead, along with Greg Nicotero. Uh, those two guys make the most special Walking Dead episodes, in my opinion. So we're in for a treat. We're definitely in for a treat a month from now. We're all all looking forward to those six, you know, bonus episodes. I'm most definitely looking forward to the second half of Fear the Walking Dead. It's in, right in the middle of an amazing season six. So that's coming up very, very soon. Want to welcome Susanna, who's joined us on YouTube. Lisa Wilhelm has joined us on Facebook. Welcome to all you guys. Hello to Philip. Hello to 6P on Instagram. Instagram. Kindly has also joined us. Dom TWD has also joined us and is waving. Uh, welcome to you guys. It's good to have you guys here with us. So let's go on to the next bit of, uh, well, you know, there is an article attached to what's supposed to be the reveal to the Lucille scene. Uh, the Walking Dead's Hillary Burton has released the first look at Negan and Lucille together. We've seen this picture now for several weeks. It's nothing really new to talk about there. Uh, let me go ahead and bring up the webpage so you guys can look at it. There is, of course, is uh, Negan. Uh, and here's some new. I haven't seen this picture before. Wow, talk about a flashback. Uh, I love... Uh, Hillary Lucille with her what looks now to be a purple wig in the trailer that we saw she was wearing a greenish type wig here it looks purple so maybe she just had a, has a collection of different wigs while she was undergoing chemotherapy who knows the caption on this tweet says uh, sorry on this Instagram post says Find the person you can depend on. Hashtag Negan and Lucille. So, I'm really looking forward to that episode. It's going to be the last of the six. And it's titled, Here's Negan. And it starts off with Negan and Carol. And Negan goes into storytelling mode. I guess telling Carol about, you know. It's kind of weird that Carol would be the first person that he really opens up to about his history with his former wife. Uh, you would never have thought that it would have been Carol. Uh, let's see. Want to welcome Rebecca, who's watching from the Philippines. Welcome, Rebecca. So, next is uh, this new slasher flick with Adrian King. It's called Killer Therapy. Uh, Adrian King is going to be our guest. She was supposed to be our guest today, but it got pushed back for scheduling reasons. But Adrian King, yeah, for all of you for all of you who don't know, played Alice in the original Friday the 13th and also Friday the 13th part 2 where she was just in the opening minutes of that movie. But she is in a new movie called Killer Therapy, 
We're going to watch the trailer here in a bit. The plot is a mentally unstable young man goes on a mission to hunt down and murder all the therapists he blames for messing up his mind and his life. So, it's directed by Barry J. Uh, you know, and here's a little clip from it. Let's go ahead and watch it. You say your son is dealing with some anger issues. Oh, yes. He's very disturbed. Tell me what's been happening. To begin with, he bites. Sounds like a case I had several years ago. Oh, really? I'd like to meet your son. I think I could help him. I'm sure you would, Dr. Keller. We all have to look at ourselves in the mirror. Embrace the demons who stare back at us. What did you do? I'm through talking with you idiots. I'm done putting on that happy face. They deserve what's coming for them. Hey. Ooh. Look at me. You did this. You sent me to all those therapists. This isn't my fault. Oh my god, Brian! Who was a good little boy? Now you think about what you did. That actually looks pretty gory. Uh, it's good to see they brought back some way back, you know, uh, horror stars, of course, and Adrian King, and also PJ Souls. Uh, PJ Souls played Linda in the original Halloween movie. Uh, I saw the little glimpse of her in this trailer. And of course, Adrian King, who played Alice, the last girl standing in Friday the 13th, the original, and didn't make it that far in the second movie. But this trailer looks pretty good. It looks pretty good. Might be worth checking out. Uh, singer Chick writes, just what I needed to see. Yeah, and they take a topic, uh, you know, going after blaming all the therapists that you've seen your entire life for just screwing you up even more than what you originally went in to see them for. I'm sure there are a lot of people out there who can relate with that, minus the violent murderous theme that comes afterwards. Uh, here's another thing that's sort of a blast from the past. Fangoria, which is still around. Fangoria, you know, its heyday was in the 80s and the 90s when Anthony Timpone was the editor-in-chief. It was the main place to go and get all your horror information. You guys got to keep in mind, this is before the internet. Uh, it's a, it was a magazine, came out once a month. Our guest that we've had twice on this show already, Anthony Timpone, was the editor-in-chief. Anyway, they are looking into, um, what's, what's the right word here? Expanding. Uh, they're not as big as they were decades ago because of the internet. It's become a lot more competitive. 
But Fangoria is still around. They have not disappeared. Fangoria Studio seeks to use the brand to delve into film, TV, and podcasting. More than four, four decades, sorry, more than four decades, years after launching as a horror magazine, Fangoria is taking its scares into new territory as it launches Fangoria Studios. Fangoria Studios will draw upon the Fangoria brands, which also include Starlog and Gorezone, to develop film, TV, and podcasts. Circle of Confusion will rep the newly formed studio. A short article, and quite honestly, I don't know what to think of this. Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? Is this Fangoria's last gasp to try to become relevant again? I don't know. But, you know, the thing that really glares really distinctly to me in reading this Film, TV, and podcasts. Uh, that last part just doesn't fit. Uh, podcasts are great. Podcasts are very useful. They're very informative. This show, after I'm done broadcasting it, every night does get uploaded to a Dead Talk Live podcast. Uh but it's not primarily made for podcasting. I just make it available to people who want to listen to it. Uh, All but Apple. Apple is like the only podcaster on the market that offers video podcasts. Almost everyone else is exclusively audio only. And as you can see, we are a video show. We are not a podcast. Uh, absolutely not. So I'm just surprised why they're not going into film, TV, and more video on demand, live streaming, as opposed to podcasts. So maybe they need to catch up with the times a little bit. That's just my opinion. But that's what they're doing. Uh, I think they're just doing it to try reinvent themselves. Uh, let's see if it's successful or not. We just have to wait and find out. Now, here's some. Here's a headline that I thought I would never read. Adam Sandler, Adam Sandler, reportedly in talks for a new horror movie. That's right. That's right. The very funny Adam Sandler is in talks for uh, a new horror movie. Ari Aster may only have two feature films under his belt as a director, but he's already proven himself to be one of the most unique and distinctive voices in horror, with fans eagerly waiting to see what he comes up with next. Both Hereditary and Midsommar received widespread Critical acclaim, holding 89 and 83% scores on Rotten Tomatoes, respectively, 
while they also did big business at the box office after combining to earn almost $130 million on total production costs of $19 million. And when they say box office, I'm almost 100% sure Hereditary went straight to video on demand. I don't believe Hereditary was ever released to the movie theaters. I could be wrong, but I don't think so. Uh, anyway, the combined costs for both movies were $19 million. Combined for both movies, they made $130 million. So that's a very nice profit. Uh, made all the more impressive by the fact that neither is exactly what you'd call a straightforward horror movie by any stretch of the imagination. His next effort behind the camera is shaping to be the sorry is shaping up to be the most ambitious yet with the 34 year old adapting his six minute short film bow into what he's described as a four hour nightmare comedy and joaquin phoenix intertalks in bow is afraid in november however aster has also moved into producing since launching company Square Peg back in June 2019. And we've now learned from our sources, the same ones who told us uh, a new Exorcist is in development, that the Scream franchise was getting a fifth installment, both of which were correct, that Adam Sandler is in talks to star in a new horror project called Dream Scenario, which Astor will produce. The plot follows a university professor who starts appearing in the dreams of people all over the world, and after initially leveraging it for fame, he soon distances himself from the phenomenon when things begin taking a much more sinister turn that's one hell of a hook for what sounds like an inventive high concept horror and could signal another shift into uncharted territory for the star should he sign on after all we're told that while he is in talks a deal hasn't been finalized yet having received rave reviews for his work in Uncut Gems, though, the 54-year-old is now set for Netflix's essential sci-fi drama, The Spaceman of Bohemia. And it seems like we could be on the verge of seeing Adam Sandler challenge himself as an actor on a much more regular basis than ever before. 54. Wow, I can't believe Adam Sandler is 54 years old already. Damn. Uh, Philip writes, wow. Welcome to Giuseppe on YouTube. Uh, both Singer Chick and Khaleesi cannot see Adam Sandler doing horror. I actually was very lucky to see Adam Sandler perform in person. I went and saw, uh, I was in the audience 
for one show of Saturday Night uh, Live. And, man, I couldn't pick the better day to go. Not only did Adam Sandler appear as a guest uh, that night, this was after he left Saturday Night Live, but the, the main performer that night was Tupac Shakur. And it was very soon, it was very soon afterwards that he got killed. So I'm lucky to say that I got to see Tupac and Adam Sandler both live on the same night. So that was a long time ago. That was 1996. You guys, you know, I got to tell you, I don't know how many of you guys watch Saturday Night Live, but that studio... That studio is so incredibly small. You can't imagine how small it is. You know, on TV, everything looks bigger than it is. And, you know, they can make the camera with the angles, make everything seem bigger, wider, huge. It is so tiny. It's probably no bigger than the size of your living room. I mean, a little bigger than the size of your living room. But it is so, so tiny. And you're talking about a show that is approaching, if not already there, of being on the air for 40 years. So, anyway, just a little tidbit about SNL there. So, you know, we've asked this question before. Why did Shiva have to die on The Walking Dead? Uh, she ran out heroically. Shiva the tiger sacrificed herself so her king Ezekiel can survive. But apparently, you know, Screen Rant has an answer as to why The Walking Dead killed off the most beloved tiger in the zombie apocalypse. So let's see what they have to say. And The Walking Dead Season 8, Ezekiel's tiger was tragically killed by zombies. Despite being loved by fans, here's why Shiva had to die. In The Walking Dead Season 8, the AMC series tragically killed off Shiva, Ezekiel's tiger. Introduced early in Season 7, the show's only tiger served as a faithful companion to the kingdom's leader. It was said that Shiva came to be in Ezekiel's company after he saved the wounded zoo animal at the beginning of the zombie apocalypse. Shiva was by his side when Kari Payton, Walking Dead character, finally made his long-awaited debut in Season 7's second episode. She stuck with him closely and also proved to be a formidable ally in the combat against both the zombies and their human enemies, the Saviors. Uh, the tiger made multiple reoccurring appearances in the series, with her last coming in The Walking Dead Season 8, Episode 4, titled Some Guy, which was when the kingdom was defeated by Negan's army of saviors. That was the uh, episode where Negan gave his big uh, Jedi smile. It was either that episode or the episode before the Yet I Smile speech. Well, he wasn't smiling after 
His whole army was gunned down in a matter of a few seconds. After being absent for most of the episode, Shiva showed up just at the right moment. Jerry and Carol were struggling to get a badly injured Ezekiel to safety. Based on his condition, the heavy losses they had already endured, and the approaching zombies, their outlook wasn't good. That changed when Shiva appeared out of the blue and sacrificed herself to save her companion. Shiva fought hard, but was ultimately brought down by the zombies. Much to Ezekiel's horror, the way Shiva's death happened in the show closely mirrored her fate in the comics, which was the show's intention. According to The Walking Dead creator Robert Kirkman, Shiva dying to save Ezekiel from zombies was a huge turning point for his character in the comics. And that's why it had to happen in the show as well, just as it was in the comics. Shiva's death was an important loss for him. Kari Payton has explained that to Ezekiel, Shiva was a symbol and embodiment of the kingdom itself, which further demonstrates how truly symbolic and devastating her death was for him. It drove home the point that Ezekiel had lost everything that he had, that he had built with the kingdom. Given everything, given everything that happened and how much Shiva meant to him, it's not surprising that these events launched Ezekiel into a state of disillusionment. Remember, he pretty much holed himself up in the auditorium, not wanting to deal, talk to anyone or about anything. He was just there, just wanted to be left alone. He was a defeated man at that point. It changed his character and sent him on a long road to being a leader again. For a long time, Ezekiel struggled with self-doubts as he blamed himself for what happened. How the scene was set up and how her violent demise played out helped make it one of the Walking Dead's most heartbreaking deaths. Aside from her strong bond with Ezekiel, Shiva contributed a number of memorable moments to the show, with one of the biggest being when she made a grand entrance in the season 7 finale, saved Carl from Negan, and took out several of the saviors. Though an entirely CGI character, Shiva quickly evolved into a fan favorite. Shiva endeared herself even more to viewers with her final selfless act in The Walking Dead Season 8. So there you guys have it. Why Shiva had to die. Shiva had to die in order for King Ezekiel's character to undergo the change that he went through. And it wasn't very long afterwards that that whole way of talking for Ezekiel, most definitely by the end of the Savior War, he dropped it. You know, no more 
uh, Shakespeare in the park talking. You know, he became Ezekiel. You know, dropped the uh, the uh, the big words, the, the theatrics, the dramatics, whatever you want to call it, and you can trace it back to when he lost Shiva. Shiva was a big turning point in Ezekiel's character, and according to Kirkman, that's why our beloved Tiger from The Walking Dead had to go. Uh, Giuseppe on YouTube writes, man, I can't wait for the Rick movies. It's going to be a while. We're going to get them, but it's going to be a while. Wilson on YouTube writes, Shiva might have died, but we still have Dog and Skidmark. Do we still have Skidmark? Apparently, Daniel was uh, beaten pretty bad, which is why he's faking this amnesia. Because they wanted to separate him and Skidmark. We don't have confirmation that Skidmark is still alive. I hope that poor cat is still alive. And I, th I think she is. But you're right. We have Dog and uh, Skidmark. And wow, you know, if the writers want to make Dog, like, suffer a tragic death to save Daryl... It played to the story side with Shiva. I don't think uh, them, you know, whacking Dog off the show to save Daryl would play well. And I really hope they don't. I really hope they don't do that. Uh, uh, Giuseppe writes: Shiva had to die because Gimple needed a new car. <laughs> oh, come on, be nice. Be nice. He's the big boss man on The Walking Dead. Uh, Yashu on Instagram writes, it was too early for Shiva. But, you know, she went out with, uh, with glory. She went out as with courage, defending her king. So, you know, she got a good death. And in reality, though, it's kind of hard to imagine a real-life tiger you know, being overrun by rotting corpses. I mean, this is an apex predator. Apex predator. And yeah, you know, she did get surrounded. And uh, I don't know. I was expecting for it to be a bigger fight between Shiva and the walkers that had surrounded her where she ultimately died. So... Anyways, moving on to the next thing. Here's a list of every Netflix horror movie releasing in 2021. Uh, let's see. Khaleesi writes, glad Morgan ended up with a dog. Rufus. That's right. We got Morgan's dog, Rufus, who was the bounty hunter's dog. Not only did Morgan take the bounty hunter's head, axe, he also took his dog. I mean, talk about kicking somebody when they're down. Took his axe, took his head, and to give it the real big kick in the nuts, took the man's dog as well. Uh, Singer Chick writes, what the hell? I can't remember who was Rufus. Rufus was the bounty hunter's dog in Fear of the Walking Dead in the uh, premiere of season six. 
where Morgan took him out, and uh, the you know dog Rufus uh, sided up with Morgan and became and is now Morgan's faithful companion. Singer Chick writes, "Oh, he was new to us. That's why I didn't remember him." Yeah, yeah. Well, we we've seen him quite a bit in the first uh, seven episodes that we have of Fear the Walking Dead so far. So, let's see a list of all the horror movies that are being released on Netflix this coming year. And if Netflix is going to keep up with what they've been doing uh, based on original content, we should have a big list. So, in 2020, Netflix original movies in the horror genre ranged from zombie flicks to gothic horror adaptations. While they did lose a few titles, including Slasher, which is now owned by Shudder, they made up for it by expanding with Joe Hill's Lock and Key and Remy Weeks' His House. Netflix even added the highly anticipated follow-up to Mike Flanagan's The Haunting of Hill House with The Haunting of Bly Manor. I love the Netflix Haunting of shows. The first one was The Haunting of Hill House. And the second one, which just came out uh, several months ago, The Haunting of Bly Manor. They are 10 episode uh, seasons, which each season is about a different house. Or in this season, the case is a manor. It's a manor, not a house. Because it is way too big and exotic to be called just a house, like Hill House. Anyway, uh, let's see what's coming out. In February, we're we're getting one movie that's called There's Someone Inside Your House. Uh, In April, we have Things Heard and Seen. Let's see, keep going. Army of the Dead is coming out uh, summer of 2021. Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead is set for a summer release, but the exact date has yet to be announced by Netflix. Army of the Dead follows a group of mercenaries as the zombie virus sweeps across the nation. Their casino heist quickly, quickly turns into a fight for survival against the undead. Snyder's Army of the Dead plays homage to George Romero, the creator of the modern zombie movie. Like Romero and others have done before him, Snyder's movie features practical effects that are regarded as a classic element of the late director's Living Dead series. Let's see, what else do we have? The Fear Street Trilogy, coming out sometime mid-year 2021. O2, that's the name of the movie, O2. Alexandra Aja's O2 will hit Netflix at an unspecified date in 2021. The upcoming movie stars Melanie Laurent. Uh, as the lead alongside Matthew Amalric, Malik Zidi, Mark Saez, and Eric Herson Marikal. 
uh, O2 follows Lorette's character after waking up in a cryo unit where her oxygen levels begin to deplete, hence why it's called O2. As she struggles to escape the unit, she is faced with the realization that her memory is coming back to her in fragments. Not much of a story, the line that they gave us there. Somebody waking up in a cryo unit who is suffering memory loss and her memory is coming back in bits and parts. Doesn't say a whole lot about the story there. Uh, my wife and I bought a ranch coming out sometime in 2021. What originated as a Reddit horror story. Now, hold on. A Reddit horror story? I'm really tempted to click that link and see what a Reddit horror story is. Anyway, what originated as a Reddit horror story became one of the most anticipated Netflix original horror movies of 2021. As of this writing, my wife and I bought a ranch. Crews include James Wan, who we've discussed in very recent episodes, all his wonderful creations, Harrison Query, Michael Clear, Sean Levy, and Dan Cohen, the original story was written by Matt Query and follows Harry and Sasha, a young couple who have found their dream house in Idaho. After purchasing the home, they are informed by their neighbors that there is a malevolent spirit they must appease by following very specific steps, which become increasingly gory as time goes on. My wife and I bought a ranch does not have a specified release date in 2021, but it's likely it will arrive just in time for Halloween. And hey, if it's a James Wan paranormal movie, it's going to be good. All right. Uh, and if it's not, I will be absolutely shocked. James has brought us to Conjuring, Insidious, a whole bunch of movies. And even though this has a pretty odd title, my wife and I bought a ranch. Not a title that you would associate with a horror movie, but uh, it sounds very interesting. And like I said, James Wan, uh, the man can do paranormal horror movies, no doubt about it. Next on the list is Nightbooks. Yeah, David Yarovesky's Nightbook stars... Kristen Ritter as an evil witch. Alongside her is Winslow Fegley, a young boy named Alex, who has an affinity for scary stories, and Lydia Jewett as Yasmin, who is trapped in the witch's New York apartment. Sam Raimi and Robert Teppert of the Evil Dead fame are attached to the feature as producers as well as Mason Novak and Michelle Knudsen. It has yet to receive an official release date, but it's likely that Nightbooks will arrive during the later half of 2021. Let's see, what else do we have? No One Gets Out Alive uh, will premiere as a feature-length movie in Netflix in 21. Christina Rodlo and Mark Menchaca are attached 
to this project as lead characters, which likely means Rudlow will portray will portray Stephanie Booth, the novel's main character. As of this writing, Menchaca's character has not been revealed. No one gets out alive follows Stephanie after she moves to the United States. Having little to no resources, she takes a room in a boarding house. While the positive aspects seem to outweigh all of the issues with her new lodgings, it doesn't take long for her to realize that there is something particularly dangerous and hostile that grows more intense with each passing night. Netflix's horror movie release schedule for 2021 boasts several impressive titles and names attached to the projects that only heighten the anticipation for their arrival. And if anyone out there doubts that the paranormal subgenre in horror is the most popular subgenre in horror, all you got to do is just look at this list and see the type of movies that people want to watch. Uh, because that's exactly what Netflix gives you. So it's coming. Let's see. Now, this is an article. And I just want to point out, this is from Good Housekeeping. I have nothing against Good Housekeeping. It's been around for a long time. But Good Housekeeping did an article on The Walking Dead. Strange. Yeah. It's not a place where you think you would find an article that is about The Walking Dead. Singer's Chick writes, I still think we all need to decide on one movie on Netflix each week and everybody with that has an account with them and we can all watch together at the same time. Think Zoom meeting, kinda. Well, we can do that on our Discord server. Yes, Dead Talk Live does have a Discord server and on Discord, they allow you to have watch parties. And I'm all for having a watch party with you guys. I think that would be freaking awesome. Needless to say, well, the title of this headline is The Walking Dead fans have so many emotions about this season 10 episode news. Needless to say, a lot was going down when we last saw The Walking Dead gang in the season 10 finale. Maggie returned. Daryl stopped Beta. But then, just like that, season 10 finale ended. The credits rolled and fans were left wanting more. Now for the good news. Even though it seems like season 10 has been over since the last episode aired in October, it actually isn't. That said, fans will just have to wait just a bit longer to catch what happens next. They're talking about the six bonus episodes that we're going to get. There, I think it's become more... You know, when it was first announced, people didn't know whether to call them part of season 11, part of season 10. I think it's been agreed upon in an un, you know, said way that these six bonus episodes are officially being called season 10C of The Walking Dead. I just call them six bonus episodes. 
So, anyway, there you guys have it. Today, uh, today's topic is going to be similar to yesterday's topic. Yesterday's, we talked about the elements that go into building up a good scare when it comes to a horror movie. Today, we're going to be discussing what goes into good horror writing. And, I mean, where else would you turn to when you're looking for good horror writing than the man himself, Stephen King? Okay? Uh, This author has over 40 on-screen adaptations of his novels. I mean, 40. I mean, damn. I mean, an author out there who is published would love for one of their books to get published, to get made into a movie. Hell, look at J.K. Rawlings, who has become a billionaire off the Harry Potter uh, movies. What? There's only been seven Harry Potter movies. Stephen King has over 40 on-screen adaptations of his work. Uh, Welcome, Gypsy Road. Welcome to the show. Uh, Wilson says in regards to the bonus episodes, he calls them episode 17 through 22. Uh, that's definitely a way of looking at it. Uh, Wilson, no, uh, Singer Chick writes, yay, my brain is working. So because she wrote, that would be amazing, Viz. Then we could break it down on a show. Maybe have another group show where you have us with you and we talk about uh, on the movie. And it's a great idea. I've actually been really toying with the idea of like a movie club. Like I would announce, hey, let's all watch this movie title. Some of you may have, it depends, whatever. A lot may have already watched it. Some may have not. And then we could all get together on the Discord server or whatnot and actually discuss it. Uh, where we all get to talk and, you know, amongst each other and so on. I think that would be a great idea. Anyway, we're getting close on time. I found this great YouTube video that discusses why Stephen King's writing, why it's so damn good. And why he has been so successful in his writing and ultimately the films that have come from his writing. So let's go ahead and check this out. And let me bring it up first. There you go. And okay. The terror, which would not end for another 28 years, if it ever did end, began so far as I know or can tell with a boat made from a sheet of newspapers floating down a gutter swollen with rain. This is how Stephen King begins It, his 22nd novel published in 1986. It's a passage that really exemplifies what King does best, instantly engrossing you in the horrific and unknown. And it's this unique ability that has made him one of the best-selling writers of our time, selling over 350 million copies worldwide and earning him the distinguished title of Master of Horror. Yet, despite his success and popularity, King is still a difficult writer to discuss among the literary circle. 
once described by the New York Times as a writer of fairly engaging and preposterous claptrap. There has been a long-standing discussion on whether King's works are really literature or just glorified pulp. Nonetheless, King has managed to create some of the most iconic and haunting stories ever to come out of the genre, which raises the question, how does he do it? A bunch of haters out there who said that. That's what they are, haters. Like any writer, King isn't shy to share his sources of inspiration. Most notably, writers like Richard Matheson of I Am Legend and Bram Stoker of the now classic Dracula. But perhaps the writer that most closely resembles his style is H.P. Lovecraft, one of the most influential writers of the horror genre. He single-handedly created a whole new subgenre that is now more commonly known as cosmic horror in which unknown cosmic entities and phenomena beyond our understanding, often portrayed as ancient mythical monsters, became the subject of horror. But the monsters of Lovecraft were never really monsters. Instead, there were metaphors that symbolized Lovecraft's deep fear of the rapid technological and scientific advancements in the early 20th century. The helplessness he felt towards the changes around him reflected in the hopeless struggle of people against forces that are far beyond their control. Lovecraft believed that people's inability to truly understand their reality was the most merciful thing in the world, and that doing so would be enough to drive anyone to insanity. In many ways, this is the same kind of horror that King taps into. Whether it's vampires, a haunted hotel, or a rabid dog, the subjects of King's horror all represent our fear for something else. More specifically, the societal fears of the American people. In Dance Macabre, King's study of the horror genre, he explains that there are two different kinds of horror. The first is horror that plays on our phobic pressure points. These are fears based on our individual phobias, like the fear of spiders or ghosts, something that a lot of recent horror movies have based themselves on. But these horrors also have a clear limit as they target a very specific group of people with that specific phobia, which is why more effective and successful works of horror play with what's known as national pressure points. These are political, societal, and psychological fears that are shared by a wider spectrum of people. Like in the works of Lovecraft and King are represented by the abnormal and the supernatural. It's what King excels at, living through some of the most tumultuous periods in American history. His debut novel, Carrie, on the surface a book about a girl with telekinetic powers, is really a story about the suppression of female sexuality in the 60s, published just six years after the famous Miss America protest in 1968. And in the I'm sorry, but I gotta pause it there for a second. When he said King was living through the most tumultuous times in US history, we are now living in probably, if there's a top five list, I would put the times that we are living now in the top three in not just U.S. history, but world history. Anyway. Shining a book about a family stranded in a haunted hotel, King picks apart the concept of patriarchy that is deeply rooted into the American culture to discuss the cyclical nature of parental legacy. Sometimes it's more personal, 
Two of his most famous works, Misery and Cujo, deal with addiction and the lack of self-control it accompanies, and were written by King during his own struggle with drugs and alcohol. Like Lovecraft, the horrors that King portrays are self-reflective and grounded in our reality. And it is his fault. Yes, no, it is your fault. No, it is not my fault. Which in turn makes the horror feel that much more real. That's the myth. They're representations of American fear. Things that threaten the very foundation of the society we live in. And just like Lovecraft, it's reality that terrifies King. As he once put it, it isn't the physical or mental abnormalities that really horrify us, but the lack of order in our reality they represent. So how does King put this on paper? The first thing to note is that situation comes first. King's books are often based on situations rather than intricate plots. Every single one of his works is based on a series of what-if scenarios like what if an ancient cosmic evil in the shape of a clown terrorized a small town in Maine? We got the point. I mean, Stephen King is a genius. And uh, the people in the beginning of this video where they were spewing hate his way, that's all it is. It's a bunch of haters out there. Stephen King is brilliant. Uh, the difference, though, between Stephen King and H.P. Lovecraft, H.P. Lovecraft's work... Uh, and it, the genius behind it was not fully appreciated until well after Lovecraft passed away. Uh, and God, how many times have we have seen that in the past with famous artists where their work is not appreciated until after they've died. The beauty of Stephen King is that, you know, he gets to enjoy his success uh, and he has been enjoying it for many decades uh, while, of course, he's still alive. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And like I said, there is no better writer in my mind than Stephen King. One of my biggest regrets in my past, I got in line for a book signing uh, to meet Stephen King. And for some reason, they stopped adding people to the line, just a few people ahead of us. So I never got my chance to meet Stephen King. And that will always be one of my biggest regrets. Hey, but maybe one day that will change. Anyway, guys, we are out of time. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. Please check out our website, deadtalklive.com. Visit us on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter, all by the name of Dead Talk Live. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you're there right now, Please hit the thumbs up broadcast. Uh, sorry, the thumbs up button on this broadcast. You guys are awesome. As always, I'll be back on the air with you again tomorrow night. And until then, stay safe and stay walking. Good night.